0: need a job. I mean, I'm running low on money. I, I really, really need a job. So he goes down to the zoo and he talks to the head zoo guy. And he's like, hey, I'm just responding to your ad in the paper um, that you need somebody to play a gorilla. What's that all about? And the guy was like, well, you see, the gorilla is one of our most popular attractions here. Kids love to come to the zoo to see the gorilla. But unfortunately, our gorilla passed away yesterday. And we're in big trouble, and we're getting a new gorilla from Africa, but it's going to be a few days before it actually comes here. So we need somebody to put this here gorilla suit on, go in the gorilla cage, and act like a gorilla. And the guy was sitting there thinking, man, that is really weird. But you know what? I really, really, really need a job. I need some money, and this pays really well, so okay, I'll do it. So... The next day he comes in and he puts the gorilla suit on and he goes into the gorilla cage and you're just kind of sitting there thinking, this is so awkward, like, what is up? But he looks over and outside of the glass he can see the kids are looking like, look at the gorilla! And they're like, look at him! And so he starts to kind of move a little bit and they're like, it moved! And he's like, wow, this is really cool. The kids are starting to like me. So he kind of gets up and he starts to move around a little bit and the kids are just really enjoying this. And so he does more, he starts taking some straw, and he starts throwing it around. And the kids aren't even liking that anymore, and so he keeps doing more and more. And every single day that he comes back to the zoo, he gets a little more bolder with his gorilla actions. Until he finally gets this routine going, where he climbs up the tree, and he grabs a branch, and he swings across, and he flies up in the air, and he lands, and he goes, rah. And the kids are just enthralled by this. He's just having a good time. And every day he gets bolder and bolder and he swings farther along on the branch. And he just gets more animated and all that until one day he gets so into it that he flies really hard and he flies over the wall of his cage. And he lands and he's like down and he gets up and he starts checking his leg and he's like, I'm okay. And then he looks up and he realizes that he just flew into the lion's pen. And he just starts freaking out. He's like, oh, this was a bad idea to be this gorilla. This was so not good. Help me, help me, help me. I am not a gorilla. And he's just spazzing out, and the lion just starts bearing down on him. And he's just really, really nervous. And he's, he's screaming for help. And he's just about ready to take off his gorilla head when the lion pounces on him and says, quiet before we both lose our jobs. (laughs) Sometimes... (laughs) Sometimes, as believers, it can be really easy to be one thing on the outside and something completely different on the inside. Today, we're going to start a brand new sermon series called The Battle for the Heart, where we will be taking a look at the part of us that God is most interested in, our hearts. We're going to start off by asking the question, what is the natural state of our heart without God? The best verse that describes this is Romans 3, verses 9 through 11 and verse 12 which I'm going to read for you. Paul here is talking to the people in Rome, and he's giving an argument that a lot of people are under sin, and he's referring the we to the Jewish people living in Rome. He says, What then shall we conclude? Are we any better for being Jewish? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This verse tells us that in our natural state without God, Human hearts have a bent toward evil. And this verse tells us that we are on a path where we are completely unable to please God. It's like we're on a big canyon. We're on one side and God is on the other, and we have no way of ever getting over to the other side. Theologians call this total depravity. It's the idea that humans have a sinful nature. And our default response is to do our own will rather than honor God. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us that the problem lies with our heart. It tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In today's world, when we think of the word heart other than, you know, the little organ that sits right here pumping blood through our veins. We kind of refer to the heart as our emotions, right? But in ancient times, that wasn't the case. You see, the stomach or the bowels in ancient times referred to the emotions. Like, I feel it in my bowels. I have that gut feeling. In ancient times, the stomach or the bowels referred to emotions. The mind referred to to knowledge, was the the sort of knowledge. And the heart referred to our will, our our ability to actually make choices and carry out those choices. So the mind would say, you know what, I think a bologna sandwich would convert well into energy for me right now. The stomach would say, you know what, I kind of feel like a bologna sandwich. The heart would say, Let's go make a bologna sandwich. In ancient times, it was the heart that led you to action. So a paraphrase of Jeremiah 17 verse 9 could kind of go like, our ability as humans to make decisions is really diseased. And we have no ability to fix it. Because we are messed up. The biblical idea of our human heart is that we are hopeless sinners completely unable to do anything about it. We cannot do anything to help our sinful condition and the truth is it is utter foolishness to, utter, to even try. The human heart is a heart of stone. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners Christ died for us. This is a verse from Romans chapter 5, verse 8, a couple chapters after the, the Romans passage. Well, Paul makes the argument that even though we are completely in our sin and hopeless, it was in that state of hopelessness that God died for us, to open a way for us to have a relationship with us. And this verse tells us the fulfillment of the prophecy given to us In Ezekiel chapter 36. Turn with me there now to Ezekiel chapter 36. And follow along with me as I read. This is uh, verses 26 and 27 of Ezekiel 36. When God says, I will put a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26. This verse tells us that when we place our trust in Jesus Christ alone, God removes our stone heart and gives us a new heart that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Here's my question. If we look at this verse, who is doing the doing? Look at the verse. You can actually answer that question. Who is doing the doing in this verse? It's all God. God is the one that gives us the new heart, and God is the one that drives us to right action. And it kind of, this verse kind of paints this picture of we were in this helpless state with our heart always leading us to defy God and to do things that we shouldn't. And it kind of paints this picture of God taking that heart and just kind of going, nope, that's not you anymore. And he puts a new heart inside of us. And it's like now we have this supernatural ability to honor God and so that as soon as we put our trust in Christ, we go and we're now doing everything right for God. The truth is, this is not a one-time event. And it, it is true that we have the power of the Spirit inside of us. But this removal of our stone heart and um, the addition of the heart of flesh is an ongoing, lifelong process that starts the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ and it ends the moment that we die. It's a process called sanctification. Sanctification comes from the Greek word um, to make holy is basically what it means. And so we're kind of in this state right now of having both hearts, essentially, where we have the stone heart that is desiring for us to do evil and to please ourselves. And we have our new heart that wants us to honor God. And the two are at war with one another. And this is the battle for the heart that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. And it's, really the question that we're facing with today is which heart are we going to allow to drive us? And it's really not a question that is just for today. It's really the question of the rest of our lives. Which heart is going to drive us? Let's take a look now at Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 6, to see the two ways that this could play out in our lives. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 6. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and his heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. And he will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. The basic message of this verse is that those who try to grow spiritually on their own will fail. The person that is described in verse 5 is trusting in their ability. Because they're trusting in their human ability, their sinful stone heart, their old heart, is leading them away from God. And I think that for a lot of people who put their trust in Christ. We understand that God does the saving, that God is the one that opens the door for us to go into salvation. And it is Jesus Christ alone and what he did on the cross that makes it possible for us to have that relationship with God. But sometimes we get this idea that, all right, God, you saved me, now it's my turn. Now I have to work hard to follow Christ. The truth is, though, that this mentality that now it's my job to follow Christ is just as foolish as thinking that we can earn our way to God. It simply doesn't work. It's like we're trying to muscle our way into a deeper relationship with God through things like going to church and reading our Bible and praying and why those things are very good things. Without God, they're worthless. And if we don't have a relationship with God, and if we're trying to grow closer to God through just routine religion, it's not going to work. And just like we need to trust in God for salvation, so we need to continually rely on Him to help us to grow. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute. In the Jeremiah passage, um, it referred to, to um, the heart of, I'm sorry, in the Ezekiel passage, it referred to God removing a heart of stone and putting a heart of flesh in there. And it sounds like that heart of flesh is a really good thing, right? But in this Jeremiah passage, it says that this guy is trusting in his flesh. What's up with that? Well, I think there's two reasons for this. First and foremost, I think they're using the word flesh in different ways. In the Jeremiah passage, the one we're looking at right now, the word flesh is referring to our human sinful condition. In the Ezekiel passage, he's using the heart of flesh as a contrast to the heart of stone, where the stone being a completely inanimate dead object, whereas the heart of flesh is something that's alive. And in that verse, we see it going hand in hand with being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So I think they're using the term flesh in different ways. And secondly, it's this idea that if we continue to to trust in in ourselves, even if we have a new heart, if we're not listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing God to influence our lives, we're not going to grow. Even if we have that new heart. Let's move on though. I'm sorry, in verse 6. It paints this picture of a bush in the desert that is dead and lifeless. Um, you can kind of see this picture. Is it on there? Yes. Doesn't that thing look nasty? It's like this nasty bush that wants to grow in Christ, but it's trying to do it on its own effort. And it ends up going through and Not having it. And I think the verse or the phrase in in verse 6 that really cuts to my heart is that this person is described as unable to see prosperity when it comes. I think one of my greatest fears in life is to be nearing the end of my life and looking back and being like, wow, I missed what life was all about. And if we place our trust in ourselves and try to just muscle our way into a deeper relationship with God, we're going to fail. And we're going to miss the opportunities for growth that God is putting before us. When we trust in ourselves to grow spiritually, we miss those opportunities for growth that God puts in front of us. And we are left dead and empty like this bush. Jeremiah 17 Verse 7 through 8, though, tells us the other way we can go. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water, it sends its roots into the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in, in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. This contrasting picture shows a tree that grows to maturity. Look at it. It's described as having roots. It's got nice green leaves. And it's got healthy fruit. This tree has grown to maturity. And the point that we need to take from this verse is trusting in God is the key to growing in spiritual maturity notice that this tree does not lose its prosperity in times of drought. When difficult times for this, this tree come, it still grows. It still produces its leaves, and it still bears fruit. And when we, when we see this as a metaphor for growing in Christ and trusting in God, we can see that sometimes trials, and the difficult times in life, the droughts, can be some of the greatest catalysts for growth. These opportunities, these tough times that produce growth in us, I think are what the other tree misses, that bush. Those are some of the opportunities that it misses. Because here's what I think happens. When we depend on ourselves, we can kind of get into this mindset that when we follow the rules, God owes us prosperity. And when trials come along, it almost hurts our relationship with God. Because we're like, God, why on earth would you allow that to happen to me? I'm honoring you. I'm doing the right things. How dare you put this trial in my life? And we allow it to get in our way. But the person who's trusting in God for growth has the ability to see that difficult situations can be used by God to help us to grow spiritually. One of the biggest examples of that in my life happened to me my senior year of high school. You see, um, the summer before my, my senior year, I believe I got called to go into youth ministry and a study at Moody Bible Institute. And I was so excited to go there. I felt like that's where God wanted me to go. And I was so sure that that's where God wanted me to go, that it was the only school that I applied to. Well, in March, I got a letter telling me that I didn't get accepted. And this caught me to the core. Because I was like, God, I don't understand. Going to Moody, learning how to start a youth ministry and go and serve you is the only thing I want right now. Like, doesn't that fit with your will? Like, I thought you called me that. Why would you do that to me? Why would you not let me go to Moody? God, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I was so distraught that I cut school the next day. Because I was just like wrestling with God. I was like, God, that is so unfair. And I felt like at that time in my life, I was really at a crossroads. Do I take a year off of school and work really hard? and maybe go pursue some... No, wait, I'm on the other side. Do I work hard and maybe save up some money and reapply to go next year? Or do I abandon my dream to go to Moody? Do I just go say, Okay, God, I'm going to go to a different school. I'm going to study something else. Forget about you. I, I put my trust in you. I worked hard to follow the rules. I was doing it my way, and you abandoned me. And I was really at that crossroads. And I'm so thankful that I had people around me that said, David, I believe that God has called you in the youth ministry and that you need to go to Moody. You need to work hard and get a job and just save up some money and apply next year. And I'm so glad that I did that. It wasn't easy, but I can see looking back how God used that year in my life to really help me to grow, to mature as a, as a Christian. Whereas my time at Moody, I think, was a lot more fruitful because of it. Because I went into it not seeing it as something that I deserved. Or as something that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to be awesome. But I went into it with, with humility and I appreciated it so much more. And I was able to use that year to, to read a lot of books on youth ministry. And I was able to go in with a clearer mindset of what I wanted to learn while I was there. And I was able to understand what the prophets were teaching me much better. And I feel like that trial, that year of not being able to go to Moody, was one of the greatest catalysts that God used to grow me in my ability to do ministry. And that is the kind of spiritual life that I want to have. That no matter the circumstances, no matter what's happening around me, my trust is fully in God, and that I have the ability to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is trying to work in me. And that I will experience growth in the good times and the bad times. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look more into the into depth of how we can trust in God. And how we can use The things that God has put around us to grow spiritually. But today, I really just want you to grasp one concept, and that's this. If I trust in myself, I will not grow. If I trust in God, I will mature. It's that simple concept. I want you guys to say that with me. If I trust in God, oh sorry. If I trust in myself, I will not grow. If I trust in God, I will mature. Again, if I trust in myself, I will not grow. If I trust in God, I will mature. One more time, a little bit louder. If I trust in myself, I will not grow. If I trust in God, I will mature. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you saw us in our helpless, sinful state and you decided to send your son Jesus to die for us so that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, we know that there was nothing we could do to earn salvation. Lord, we pray that you would help us now to not trust in ourselves for growth, but that we would completely place our trust in your Holy Spirit to help us to grow as a believer that you would speak clearly to us, and that our response would be obedience. Amen.